Hey guys, Alec here with a little bit of housekeeping about this next episode. Thank you so much for all your patience while waiting for episode 2 to finally come out. We recorded this several weeks ago um, after a really long hiatus of both of us just being really, really busy with personal lives, uh, new and big changes, things we outline in the beginning of the episode. I wanted to make this quick intro though about a problem that we didn't realize we had with the episode until I was finally going back in and editing the sound bits. We're still not quite for sure what happened, but the dialogue, especially on my end for this episode, is really, it's just not the greatest sound quality. There's a lot of reverberation for some reason. Don't know exactly what happened, but it's not, it's not the best. Uh, we decided to still release the episode, though, instead of re-recording, just because we felt that the things that we said would be really difficult to say again. Um, and we just we want to try to make this as authentic of a podcast as possible. So we decided to go ahead with releasing this episode. Just please be aware and be patient with the issues that are in the episode. Apologize for that. I think I may have figured out the problem, but I wasn't able to completely clean it up. So I apologize if it hurts your enjoyment of the episode too much. Uh, but thank you very much for your patience. We are already in talks to doing episode three. Uh, we should be recording it next week. Right now it is the 21st. We've got plans to record it next Thursday. And then hopefully everything is good this time. And we should just be able to get it uh, straight up and out to you. Thank you so much again. And here's the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, nerds and geeks, welcome back to Nerdites. It's been too long. <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> the last time we recorded was about three months ago, and uh, sorry, we, we said we were going to try to do this as a weekly thing. Apologize for not keeping up on that a little bit better. Both Carl and I really, really got busy. I got married, and then trying to move and you know new life, and then I've got started school again it's been it's been fun <laughs> i don't have school but i do have a job i'm working for a fiction writer which is amazing and beautiful and wonderful and sucks an awful lot of my time but it's good <laughs> uh what's the what's the name of the author you look for again man david farland is what he he goes by for fantasy writing his actual name is dave wolverton he taught creative writing at byu he actually taught the class that Brandon Sanderson took over. Brandon Sanderson and a fair few other Mormon authors have been his students. I'm super excited. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> what a guy to be working for. It's really cool. So we are back, though. Thank you, everyone, for being here and being patient and waiting. You know, it, before we get into it, first off, I just want to talk about how like amazing the response was to our first episode. The episode itself has 42, like 42, 43 listens up on SoundCloud, and that is so much more response than I ever thought we were going to get. So those of you who, those of you early birds who have actually, you know, jumped in and started listening and helping us out, but we really appreciate it and just, you know, keep it up, guys. We really appreciate that. Literally, the only thing we did was throw it on our, our both of our Facebook pages. I mean, like, humble beginnings. Let's talk. <laughs> For real. Still, thank you very much. We appreciate it. It was awesome just seeing people's responses, comments, and everything. So, you know, it, it made us feel really good already. You know, it's just our first our first episode, and already that response just really makes us want to do it again. So, here we are with episode two. In so keeping with that, oh, 
<laughs> in keeping with that, and, and kind of giving back to the community that's fed us so much, we want to do, um, just as we did in episode one, a weekly spotlight where we, we point out something awesome that people are doing. Um, I really wanted to, to give a shout out to uh, Megan Kerstetter Illustrations. I'm going to throw, throw up uh, a link to the Facebook her Facebook page in the description because it is far too odd of a, of a name spelling for you to try and, and choke it out on your own. But she has been first on the ground. She is a fantastic artist. I've commissioned her a couple different times. Her art style is beautiful, especially for the young adult audience. It's a bit anime. It's a bit Western. Wonderful stuff. Go check out her, her site under drawings. Absolutely. And if any of you guys, if any of you listeners out there know of anyone else that you kind of want people to know more about or, you know, you've had a lot of good experience with, you know, let us know in the comments uh, to the video description. That way we can kind of get their name thrown out there. Um, I'm also wanting to try to get a, um, when I think about it and actually do it, I want to get a Facebook page for this channel, for this little podcast. I want to get a Facebook page made up, and then we can actually post some of this stuff um, up on there too. So let us know if there's anyone else out there that you think deserves a little extra recognition. So as a recap, in our first episode, uh, we talked a little bit about the D&D renaissance how uh, Dungeons and Dragons is becoming such a big powerhouse again, and how just RPGs in general are coming at the forefront of nerdum, you know, and just kind of the reason why that's happening, you know, why people are beginning to experience D&D in this way again. So, you know, we're gonna, that's what we're going to keep talking about is things about D&D, except we're going to shift it a little bit now to world building one of the uh, cornerstone points of D&D and a lot of like homebrew campaigns. So that's what this episode is going to be focused on, is world building. And we're just going to get right into it. First off, Carl, just to get this discussion going, I want to ask you, why does world building make such a difference when the DM takes that time to build a world for you as a player? <laughs> oh man, to use an analogy, that's like the difference between watching The Lord of the Rings and any B-grade fantasy film. Lord of the Rings is so carefully, wonderfully, beautifully crafted that you want to be a part of it. Uh, same thing for our D&D adventures. A DM's job isn't just to give a plot and a conflict, it's to help create a world. That's part of what makes D&D unique. You can pick up any video game and go through their, their convoluted linear hallways until you kill all the bad guys and you win. But that's not the heart of D&D, at least not to me. I totally agree with you. When you, when you actually take the time to build a world, things become very, you know, they breathe. The, the world just becomes this living, breathing thing that becomes so much more interesting to interact with. Mm -hmm. And um, it really goes a long way to making your players... I really feel like as a DM, it's really helped me um, make a much more special experience for my players because especially from when you build a world, your players can help you build it. Like when you use a D&D pre-built campaign world or you know campaign guide, it's great. They have a lot of great stuff in those and they're really, really well thought out, have a lot of in-depth lore, quest lines. You know, they're really, really good. I do not on diss on them at all but you basically are just kind of going along for the ride um you're just you're do yes you get your choices and you get your actions but the world's already there 
when you're building a world, you're building your own kind of D&D world for your players, your players get to tell a lot of that story and get to help build a lot of that history. And it feels a lot more impactful, I feel. Yeah. Um, take a, a glance at, okay, this is one of the most linear D&D adventures, but the, the starter set adventure, The Lost Minds of Fandelver, if that were built as a holistic creation between a DM and his players, then you wouldn't just be questing to help save Fandelver. Ah, my apologies. The plot is rather convoluted, but essentially, tiny town of Fandelver full of normal humans that you should help because you're an adventurer. And then there's uh, Wave Echo Cave, which is this mystical uh, relic site. If you if this was a holistic creation, it wouldn't be five random adventurers who came into this town and want to help out. It would be someone whose family used to own the section of, of mountains the Wave Echo Cave is found in. It would be someone whose home used to be in Fandelver, and he's he's coming back to reconnect with his ancestors. And the characters would help shape the world, just as Alec was saying. It really can bring a lot more of a, you know, just a commutative experience to D&D. That's one thing that we talked about in our D&D Renaissance, is how, is how um, uh, D&D Renaissance episode is that Dungeons & Dragons is such a commutative storytelling experience that world you know, building your own world definitely can help make that an even better community experience. Now, I do want to say this first off. If you don't want to build your own world, if you don't want to take that time and do all of those notes <laughs> and just take that time and energy, don't worry about it. It's, you know, it's not for everyone. If you want to play, if you're a DM and you want to stick to you know, if you want to stick to pre-builds or, you know, other people's stuff, that's perfectly fine. There is nothing wrong with that. But with this episode, we're specifically talking to those DMs who want to do that, who want to world build, and just give you a couple of tips from our experience of how you can do that without completely killing yourself. Both yep. Carl and I, I mean, Carl, how long have you been writing fiction? <laughs> um, I'm 24. At the very least, a, sol a solid 10 years. <laughs> so I've, I've kind of been in the same boat like you know as you. When I was younger um, in high school, I tried doing a bunch of fiction writing myself. I've always loved world building. It wasn't until D&D um, that I actually really had anything to apply it to. But yeah, I, yeah, I've been doing this for a long time. And so, you know, for those of you listeners out there, Carl and I know the struggles. We've been there. We've done that. And that's why we're doing this episode for you guys. Yep. I want to ask you another question, Carl. Yeah. How much would you say, uh, how, if you were to guess, how much do you think DMs improvise? <laughs> I've heard tales about DMs who actually create entire plots and outlines before, um, before they ever start an adventure. I am not that guy. I literally have one session planned in advance, and I hit bullet points. It's like giving a talk in sacrament meeting uh, for members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints out there, you basically hit the biggest bullet points and everything else is talking out of your hat. You make up so much stuff in the life of being a dungeon master. I plan pretty in-depth stuff, especially with my first campaigns. You could you could say I was pretty much railroading the party. Ooh, and, yeah. I kinda, and I kind of was. I mean, I had so much that was outlined and the every step of the way, but that still left 
that still left 90% of what I said was pretty much just what I was coming up straight out of my butt. <laughs> <laughs> 90% of what you do as a DM is going to be improvisation. Just learn that before you ever start world building. That's just something to realize. You're going to have to improvise a lot because your players are going to throw those wrenches at you. A quick example, just the other night, my party decided to go to an oddity shop. And they were just looking around, trying to find, you know, see if they found anything interesting. Well, this book owner happened to have this really, really expensive book. Um, it was like a tome of, you know, it, it, when you read it, it gave you like plus two constitution. What? And yeah, yeah, it was pretty, it, it's a pretty good item. But the thing is, it costs like 20,000 gold. And my party's only level five. They don't have 2,000 gold, much less 20,000 gold. <laughs> So, um, because because of that, they try to figure out ways of how to uh, steal it. Um, this these two guys, uh, two rogues, were trying to figure out how to steal it. Well, one of them kept trying to distract, while the other one kept trying to stealth. He failed three stealth checks in a row, though, oh. to try to sneak around. On the third one, he knocked over this display of like necklaces and stuff, and just made a huge mess. Oh. The storekeeper came over. The storekeeper came over. And basically just had to try to gather, you know, was it's shooting him out and try to gather all this stuff. Well, the other rogue, the one that was trying to distract him, he comes up, butts the man in the back of the head with, a, with his knife. <laughs> and since he's a rogue, he gets sneak attack damage. Well, he didn't specify whether he was going to knock the person out or kill him. Oh. Typical commoners have an HP of 9. He dealt 13 hit points of damage in <laughs> one hit. So all of a sudden they have a dead corpse now. They have a corpse on the ground um, in the middle of the city, in the middle of, you know, rush time marketplace, you know, activity. And, and they got a trigger to figure out what to do. Well, a guard comes in um, just after they get the body into the back room. One of them's a changeling. It just it became such a mess. And it became one of the funniest moments of the entire game one of the most memorable memorable moments of this entire campaign so far but all of that was completely made up on the spot <laughs> i had to i had to i had no choice it's not even <laughs> i'm not even trying to make myself sound good because really i'm not but i just i'm just telling you guys you have to do that so get that into your heads that you're going to have to improvise a lot of details um before you even get into world building it'll make you once you get comfortable with that, then you can start to approach a lot of campaign planning a lot better. And that's a huge part of the beauty of D&D is that improv improvised nature. If you go to an improv comedy show, that's part of the magic as well. Uh, similarities. But don't... Over-preparing is, is really, really common for beginning DMs. But there's something nice about knowing that your players can get themselves into a hole that you have no way out of, and they're going to have to dig or climb their way out of by their own wits and abilities. It, it's quite hilarious, and you almost feel proud for your players when they do that. When they, yeah. make, those, when they make those decisions, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm so proud you actually did that. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> so, Definitely. um... Now, when it comes to world building, there's a couple of different types of world building. Um, a couple different ways that you can approach it. There's the top-down method and the bottom-up method. Um, 
Carl, really quick, when we were yeah. talk, when we were doing our run through um, a couple days ago, you had a really good description of both of these. If you could share that with the with everyone, your description of the top down and bottom up styles. Of yeah, so this is coming largely from Brandon Sanderson's Writing Excuses podcasts. They're yeah. primarily aimed at writers, but you know we're all telling stories here. So basically, bottom uh, up is entirely character focused. You start there and grow outward. Um, in its purest form, it's literally a DM saying, "Hey, we're gonna play D and D. It's going to be medieval. Make a character. Someone makes a a desert monk." Uh, so now we know, okay, there has to be some place that he came from that is desert-ish and able to support <laughs> enough life to raise this guy. So we have a small nation over here. Someone else makes a pirate. Oh, well, crap. We not only have a desert nation, but we also have people raiding off coasts or <laughs> and entire uh, pirate fleets now, depending on how they, that character creates his backstory. Um, Top-down is, yeah, in its purest form, railroading. But the um, the the standard D and D adventures print, printed and published, those are also very similar. Basically, the DM has an idea, he has a campaign, he has an arc in mind, and everyone else's characters fits into that arc somehow. Absolutely. By hook, by hook or by crook, we're going to make them fit. <laughs> exactly. Now, both of these types definitely have their pros and their cons. Um, yep. Just like what Carl said, when you're doing it from the bottom up, um, you really give a lot of you, you really give your players a lot of creative freedom. But then you, as a DM, have to come up with answers for it. Yeah, it can get really, really convoluted, really, really fast because everyone else's ideas are at play a lot of the time. And then the top down, um, you can have a lot more structure, but if you're not careful, you can start to overplan and really just do too much. And yep. um, can get to a point of can get to a point with railroad. Now, as for me, I tend to lean more toward when I'm building. I tend to lean more towards the top down. And I'm more bottom up. <laughs> uh, so this makes it a really just kind of an interesting thing. You can hear two point of views on this. When you're doing top down, an important factor: you don't have to create everything completely on your own, or just you know completely make things from scratch. Not only is that really time-consuming, but it also actually can lose quality that way, um, unless you're just really, really good. So don't yeah. be afraid. Don't be afraid to borrow things from other sources, like especially like the whole multiverse and how the cosmos is, cosmos works and everything. You know, don't be afraid just to steal it straight from the D and D book. That's what I do. And then yep. a lot of a lot of my gods too are straight from the D and D book. I just basically drew out my own my own map and made my own countries and made my own you know, people and such but um, as far as like how the world is like the, the multiverse is structured the um, the races you know the magic system all that kind of stuff just you know don't be afraid just keep keep to the DM to the D&D stuff not only will that help you from railroading too much because it's not your stuff entirely but it'll also <coughs> excuse me but um, it'll also keep things a little better organized, and you won't go completely backtrack crazy. <laughs> yeah. My advice is to pick out the, the two or three things that you're most excited about, the things that you pitch to your friends to get them into the game, and then that's your stuff. Everything else can be begged, borrowed, stolen from whatever source to make things work. 
Exactly. I forget who quoted it, or who said it, but there's like some quote that there's no such thing as an original story, everything is just like retold. Or... So just take that to heart. Um, borrow what you need to, but don't be afraid to, to add your own flair to it. And that's really what I do and a lot of DMs do. They just take the stuff from D&D, but then add their own flair, maybe add a couple of gods, or maybe even add, you know, like their own truth, like the whole, you know, the whole questions of where I am, where I'm going, what am I doing here, uh, what's going to happen after I die. Really? If you can answer those in your own unique way, and all of a sudden the world is completely built for you. That's kind of what I did with mine, and that is, and that's what gives my world a lot more of its own flavor because I kind of answered those truth questions, you know. My mind is exploding right now. I don't want I don't want to get too much on this tangent here, but we might have to talk about this in another episode more. In tangent, sure. do it. I need it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> in a nutshell, if you um, even if you completely borrow all of the stuff from D and D. Everything, the multiverse, the worlds, all of that. D&D actually doesn't, the, a lot of the supplement materials don't actually answer a lot of those questions like, where am I from, where am I going, what am I doing here, what's the purpose of life? They don't answer those questions, and I think they do that on purpose. Because if you, as a DM, get to answer those questions, then all of a sudden, your world starts to make more sense. Like, quick, just very quickly, for my multiverse. The purpose of the life of the mortals is continual progression. If we're talking like from a Christian standpoint, Christian standpoint, you know, is to follow the commandments, you know, or to, you know, and if you don't, you'll go to hell, or if you do, you go to heaven. Mm -hmm. uh, the Buddhists believe that the purpose of life is to find enlightenment so that eventually you can attain nirvana. In my world, it's constant progress constantly working at and being the best at whatever craft or whatever thing you do and then when you die you will move on to a world that fits to one of like the other planes that fits who you were and what you did so like a blacksmith the reason why people are so devoted blacksmiths is they want to try to be the best kind of blacksmith that they can and then in the next world they may go to Oh, what's the plane called? I think it's... Uh, the floating island of I, blacksmithing? Like, what is no, this? Like, so, I, I, can't, I can't remember. I, it might be Gehenna, but one of the planes is basically kind of like a Valhalla, where it's, constant, it's constant battle. Oh. Well, the thing is, as a blacksmith, if you're a weaponsmith, and you did as much as you can to try to be the best blacksmith that you can, your soul and your future, you might end up in Gehenna, and for the rest of eternity, you can continue to work and perfect your craft of blacksmithing for the armies that fight on that plane. Until eventually you get to a point of even godhood. So that is my multiverse's truth, if you will. And so that can help shape a lot of NPC decisions, why villains may do what they do, etc. Nice. I really like uh, taking that core idea and then expanding it out to, to fill in motivations everywhere. That's awesome. Yeah. And then all I did was I had a couple of gods that I kind of that I made it myself just to fill in some blanks, and then I gave it that purpose. And now all of a sudden, the D and D multiverse, the stereotypical D and D multiverse from the books, now has my own flair to it because I made that that central core decision that affects everything else. So that's something that's that, fantastic. So, 
So if you're doing a top-down DMs, that's a really good tactic to make thing, something your, your own, but to not over, overwhelm you because it really can help answer a lot of questions in the future. Now, having said all that, we, we talk about Brandon Sanderson a lot because this guy is a master author and world builder. And yeah. he definitely has some good things to say. And one of those is do not over world build. Mm-hmm. He calls it world builder's disease on this podcast. But basically, if you aren't going to use it, don't make it. Give yourself some wiggle room for the thing for your underlying motivations like that truth. Alec probably spent a fair bit of time building up that idea in his head, some back some information that won't get seen, but if, just be aware. You can go too far afield, especially in D&D, where so many choices can lead in so many different directions, making stuff that your players will never see. Exactly. Just be careful. You know, definitely plan, and especially if you have fun with world building, then have fun with it. But don't tie the... But don't... Basically, don't tie the noose too tight. It can really restrict you and your player experience. So just be careful not to overdo it. Now, the rest of the time... Carl and I had this idea that instead of just telling you all these different things about how you world build, we actually came up with this idea that right here in front of you all, we are going to do a world building discussion. We already came up with kind of a, um, a, basic, a basic society or a basic world, and we're going to just flesh out some details about it in front of you guys just to show you how we do this process about how, you know, on how we will um, prepare or build these worlds uh, for ourselves. So yeah. that's what we're going to spend the rest of the time. I think it's especially important to, to get a mental model of where do you stop so you aren't, you know, burning yourself out, creating too much material for what you'll need for your games. Exactly. So that's, that's kind of what we're hoping to do with the rest of the time. Um, so if you're not interested in that, then I guess you can sign off now. But we would really, but you know, we think you might be able to learn something from this, especially if you're still trying to figure out how to do this. So we came up with that we're going to try to build a world or build a society, at least, maybe not a world, but a society of theocratic elves, mm-hmm. fantasy-based theocracy governments of elves. So first off. How do you approach the society? Basically, Carl, if I tell you, build a theocracy of elves, how would you start? So my, my immediate thought is, okay, theocracy, we all have a picture in our head of um, Elrond and the other elves from J.R.R. Tolkien's world, so how does being in a theocracy specifically change how they function as a society and how they interact with each other? So theocracies, how tight is this theocracy? Is is voicing dissent against uh, whoever is in power, whatever form, council, deity, manifestation of the great whoeverness uh, is in charge. <laughs> like, if someone the great, says... The great whoeverness, I am totally using this. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> Copyright Carl Ashby. Oh, by the way, Carl, I just thought before we keep going, yeah. a theocracy, for those of you who don't know, a theocracy is a society that's that believes that the power of the king or the ruler or whatever is divinely is based in the divine so like england back in the day or the catholic church those would be theocracies because they believed that their leader was given those powers by god 
the divine right of kings. So, just wanted to get, just wanted to throw that out there. Continue. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, questioning the the ruler, what happens? Is this like instantaneous uh, head block, <laughs> head chopping for anything from I don't like his choice of women and. Um, throwback to ancient England um, <laughs> or or more uh, or matters more more personal to the people taxes that sort of thing how do people react to when things change in the society you know like if they break the law is it or you know if they talk against those leaders is it immediate execution yeah um, mm-hmm. I also think about um, who is in power not only at the top who's in power but who's in power amongst the people? Um, is it are the religious leaders like the local priests in a theocracy in a in a society based on religion? They're probably not only the religious leaders, but they also probably serve political functions. Alec, do you know what's what's really really funny? Is I just started from the bottom and you just started from the top. <laughs> I didn't even I didn't even realize that. <laughs> yeah, my immediate reaction is how does this affect the common man? Like, what happens if you you and take it to the power and you're there what is the power source and and that's and maybe and maybe that's the lesson here folks is um get into the in-between you know do do the middle ground of what Ian <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so how does this government affect the daily lives of the common man who are the ones in charge you know yeah. let's just let's say it probably would be a priest Mm-hmm. You know, it, it probably would be like the local parishes or the local dioceses or whatever. Their bishops or their priests are the ones who would be politically in charge. And then the people, if they speak out against one of these political leaders, well, they get, I don't know, maybe they have to serve penance or something. You know, okay. They to, maybe they have to, you know, like do some community service time or, you know, serve penance of some sort in order to um, be forgiven of whatever transgression or sin they committed a couple different things that just spring out of my mind on this one um if their parishes are uh governmental control they're going to look a lot different than what we imagine in medieval england a church was someplace that you went once a week but here it's going to be a civic center as well as a worship house so you're going to have offices you're going to have guards you might even depending on the size of the town you're probably going to have two walls an inner and an outer wall um, because it would serve as the bastion of defense. And then, yeah. uh, and then secondly, uh, is my question delving into the uh, the penance problem is, is the purpose, what is their, their opinion on penance? Is someone who has spoken out against the gods and their ruler, uh, their rulers here on earth, is, are they being, are they being assigned work as a means to change them into a better person or simply to make up for the sin? How much do they care about the mind and the soul of their subjects? Hmm. I almost so just for the sake of like actually building something, I think it probably, especially if especially if I'm thinking of how this is going to affect players, I wouldn't want players in D and D. I wouldn't want them to feel like that they couldn't have any kind of rule breaking because you know that might kill their players because then that basically yeah. means that anything that they do could potentially get them killed by the law. Mm-hmm. So, as a DM from a player standpoint, I would probably make it to where it's more just to kind of punish them, keep them back, in, you know, get them back in line, assert the authority of who's really in charge, and then just to kind of get them out of trouble, 
you know, and make them and make them into better into better people. Because then that opens up doors for your players. It's like, hey, if they do do something bad, if they break a law or they speak out against someone, then maybe that's a quest opportunity where their penance is to go and retrieve an, a religious artifact or to go and uh, clear out this building because it's been haunted and they're worried that the demonic forces there could take over the town. You know, just whatever. The, the penance side of it could become quest opportunities for your players. That's fantastic, because that's dual-sided. One that can tell you that these priests care enough about even the sinners to look into their lives and see what kind of work they would they would be good for. They don't just send all the pregnant mothers and everyone else who's incapable of it out to quarry stone. They send them on specific tasks. And on the flip side, you can have kind of like this, this gritty, well, we're going into a suicide mission. No one who else who has attempted to go into this haunted house has even made it back. There are remains of, of people scattered around by the ghouls and zombies that infest this place will suck. You see, like, in just these last five minutes, we've been able to, you know, um, well, probably more like ten, but we've been able to um, now establish how this society generally um, You have, on the local level, uh, which is probably what your players are going to start off with originally, the leaders are the priests who demand obedience, but if you break the law, then you'll probably have to serve some kind of community service or potentially a quest in order to be brought back into you know full fellowship or to be forgiven of whatever transgression you made. And then this establishes that the government itself is actually a little bit more caring about their subjects because they're not going to kill them to reform them back into what they believe is the best thing. So already we have a fairly decent, um, a fairly decent society um, and playground. And playground, a, a structure players could immediately jump into. And if you wanted, you could leave it at that. Just give the, you know, some of the towns a name. Make sure you give like a god, or you know, like Pelor, the sun god. You know, make sure you have just a couple of those details figured out. But then, yeah, you've got you've got a small society already already has playability and already has some interesting facets. Ooh, we just did that. You can do it too. Is definitely asking questions. The why. Why things work the way they do. So just whenever you're doing that for yourself, just ask those basic questions. And then from here, from this small little society that we've established, as the characters continue to expand, you can use that as your base. Uh, extend out from there. Then you can build the rest of the country. You can build the religion, you can build the world as they grow more and more experienced in the world. So let's say in our, our hypothetical campaign, they spend one adventure in the, in the middle of the city and they're definitely like going up against these guards' forces. They probably have to serve penance and, and do some quests. And then as they move out farther into the country, they see that the presence of the priests is still there and it's still strong, but there isn't the manpower to enforce it. They traverse to an even larger city where their culture is different, etc. So, <laughs> this episode is already far longer than <laughs> we were anticipating it going to be. So, we're going to probably go ahead and just um, start wrapping things up here. Again, though, don't be afraid to give it a shot. If you've been wanting, if you're a DM and you've been wanting to build a world, it's, it can be hard. 
there are definitely some things you have to get used to. It's a different way of thinking, but it can be done. Just start simple, start where you're comfortable and then build out from there. Exactly. Well, that is going to be all for this episode, ladies and gentlemen, nerds and geeks. Thank you again for turning into Nerdites. Uh, We're going to start working on episode three here real soon. Don't know when it's going to come out, but we are back in the game. Thank you again so much for listening, everybody. And we're excited. See you next time.